KRCL 90.9 FM, HD1, Salt Lake City, Ogden, Provo, 96.7 FM in Park City, and on the web at krcl.org. Welcome to Radioactive, a show for grassroots activists, community builders, punk rock farmers, and DIY creatives. I'm Laura Jones. Thanks for plugging in to your community with us tonight, only on Listener's Community Radio of Utah. Coming up on the show, what is the West to you? What is your story about the West? How do those stories intertwine? Later this hour, UMFA, that's Utah Museum of Fine Arts, Ashley Farmer will be here along with two of the featured speakers at this weekend's ACME sessions, Many Stories, Many Wests at the museum. It's going to celebrate the original caretakers, the memory makers, the boundary breakers, and those that uplift the voices in our community who all stake a claim in the West. We're going to get a preview from creatives and leaders and scholars who are going to share their personal perspectives on works of art in the exhibition, exhibition, Many Wests, Artists Shape an American Idea, now on view at the Utah Museum of Fine Arts. And joining us now in conversation for our rallies and resources, we're going to talk to the folks from Switchpoint down in St. George because they have some great stuff to talk about, new social businesses to add to the conversation. But first, we need a report on the people's business from someone who was at the People's House early this morning. Darlene McDonald is here. Hey, hello, Darlene. Hello, Laura. Hello. So remind folks about the many things that you do and have done in the community first. Oh, that's that list is way too long. So I'll just say that I am currently the Engagement Committee Chair for the Utah Black Roundtable. Utah Black Roundtable. Great yes. organization in our community. You've also run for office, you're yes. an author, you, uh, you tweet amazingly, and that's what caught my eye over the weekend, and I said, what's going on? Well, we're working on a press conference, we're working on getting people to the Hill, because of some laws that are anti-diversity. Yes. And we started seeing at the end of last week our elected lawmakers of color saying how exhausted they are having to, A, deal with these bills, but also talk to their constituents uh, of color, but also allies, and say, what's going on? Yes. Why is there anti, why is there a bill for the provision of diversity, equity, inclusion? Why is there a bill that's, you know, just vaguely named state entity restrictions that we should care about that's coming back like a zombie? So, darling, what happened? What happened was the sponsor, Representative Katie Hall, brought the bill back this afternoon. It, we, we were at the Capitol. And it was voted down in committee for one. And then we got home. We celebrated. Yay. And then all of a sudden, my phone started blowing up where people said, it's back. So they made some changes to the bill. We have not seen those changes yet. They are not public. They may not be public until the morning, but we will be watching for those. And apparently, if you make changes to the bill and it's enough changes, you can bring it back. So that's oh, what okay. happened. We don't know what they, those changes are yet. This is HB 451, Correct. state entity restrictions. And I'm reading here, this bill prohibits the use of certain statements or materials by a state entity to determine employment, admission, or other benefits. And this sounds like CRT. 
no. Anti-CRT. Anti-CRT. Well, well, no, because I will not buy into the disinformation about what CRT is. Okay, okay. So this is this is about diversity, equity, inclusion, and hiring yes. where folks are asked, academics, what have you done to facilitate diversity, equity, inclusion in your work? Yes. It basically is asking people, do you support or do you have a DEI statement? And in asking people to agree to that DEI statement when they're being hired, that's that's basically what it is. And if you look at so it's um, the social governance issue, that's what all of this is about as well. So it's all it's it's about the anti-diversity, equity, inclu- inclusion, but it's also about ESG. Yeah. Yes. Well, what did you hear this morning during the hearing and the comments that were flying? What what I heard this morning that really got me upset was, again, the misquote from Dr. King, I have a dream speech. I, I, I cannot sit through that anymore and be gaslit about what that phrase mean, and I did lose my temper, and I blurted did you, out. Did you, what did you blurt out, darling? I blurted out, that is a misquote. And is it how the lawmakers are using it, saying that these bills that are anti-diversity dovetail with Dr. King's uh, speech about the content of one's character, not the color of one's skin. Right, and many, especially many conservatives, they they take Dr. King's words from I Have a Dream regarding his four little children, and um, unfortunately those are the only words of that speech that they know, and they conflate that with the reason why we don't need diversity, equity, and inclusion is because we want to live in a colorblind society. And if we live in a colorblind society, there is no race. And if there is no race, we don't have these discussions anymore. Well, we all know that that is not true. And colorblindness, when you talk about racial colorblindness, means that you get to dismiss me. You get to not see or even care about my experiences as a black woman in Utah and in America. That is what racial colorblindness is. And that was not at all what Dr. King was talking about when he made that statement. What do you feel state lawmakers are trying to get a handle on? By and large, Utah state lawmakers are white, mm-hmm. largely white men. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of white women in that hold elected office, and there are a small number of people of color in state office. So what do you feel that lawmakers who are sponsoring HB 41, was that Representative Katie Hall, is, is getting it? Did, did she have any data or stories of what I'm guessing, I will presume to guess what was in the lawmaker's mind, is what some might call reverse racism in Utah, yes. which is majority white state. Yes, that somewhat came up with um, Senator Johnson. He made a statement that he said anti-racism is racism. He said this out yeah. loud. Senator Johnson, of course, is the author of the bill prohibiting equity, diversity, yes. and inclusion sponsor. Yes, and Representative... Katie Hall, who is the sponsor of HB 451, admitted that she did not have any conversation with people who are doing the work in DEI and no historical data regarding why such a statement exists in the first place, why companies have these statements, why it helped within their hiring practices for them to have these statements. So why did she bring the bill? Did she say? 
No. Well, yes, she did say. Apparently, there have been a couple of people who have reached out to her to say that they have had to either submit a DEI sort of statement or agree to it when they were being hired, and it made them feel uncomfortable. And this is getting at uh, employment at state universities and colleges. So let's put aside all of this. What opportunity is there for a discussion here in Utah where the people who have the power are feeling like they're being discriminated against somehow? They have the power. They have the power, but they are not being discriminated against. the, The word equity scares a lot of people. Yeah. The word equity. They feel that it is a zero-sum game, that if we have an equitable society, I'm taking something from you. The pie apparently isn't big enough. If mm-hmm. if we have an equitable, equitable society, if we have three pie, slices of pie and I give you one, and all of a sudden I have two slices of pie, and that means... I have less. Instead of making more pie. <laughs> okay, this is an age-old yes. conservation con- conversation. I, I feel like you and I are in the same choir. So yes. how, how do, I mean, first of all, people still need to keep an eye because the session is still on until Friday. Friday. Mm-hmm. So some of these bills may come back. What happened to Senator Johnson's bill prohibiting diversity, equity, and inclusion? Luckily, his bill was tabled until the summer is going to be studied, but... We, we want to encourage people to stay on alert. Keep your running shoes on because you may still need to go up to the Capitol to protest, to say no, vote for this, don't vote for this bill um, because it's going to be studied and we'll probably be back this summer, which is about three months. 451 will be heard tomorrow, tomorrow afternoon, 2 p.m., Go, go to the Capitol, urge your senator to vote no on this bill. It is a bad bill. And it's probably even worse than Senator Johnson's bill. Because it's so vague? It, yeah, because it was so vague that I even almost missed it. I mean, yeah. that, that title itself. Yeah, state I mean, <laughs> entity restrictions. Yes, and, okay. and we, yeah, it, it's even worse than Johnson's bill where mm-hmm. you can't even ask the question. Yeah. You can't even commit to being a diversity, equity, and inclusive workspace or safe workspace or safe environment for the people you are employing. So that that's creates an unsafe environment for people coming there. Well, it also, it, so much semantics is making my head. I literally have a headache right now, Darlene. So what opportunity is there for groups like the Utah Black Roundtable um, League of Women Voters, Equality Utah, to to get at this conversation mm-hmm. with folks yeah. that don't um, that think it's necessary to have a bill called prohibiting diversity, equity, and inclusion. That think it's necessary to have this bill HB forty one state entity restrictions that would, by its language, I, it's so vague. I'm like, well, why is it needed? Because that's currently the state of affairs that no one should be judged by their you know, origin, creed, sex, color, et cetera. So right. how do we have this conversation over interim? Because that's where all the momentum comes for the bills in the next legislative session. What I would like to say is I want to thank everyone that showed up at the Capitol today. We put out the call to action late last night and get here, get here. And they did. Yeah. And powerhouses showed up at the Capitol today. And people were standing by online that is what needs to continue to happen. We have been a little bit behind organizations, like parent organizations, that 
are on the other side of us, and I won't say that organization's name, where they show up and speak to almost every single bill. We are working class people. Most of us have to work during the day. If we're not, we have to take off work in order to be at the Capitol on a day like today or even tomorrow at 2 p.m. So we don't have that luxury or that privilege to be able to be at the Capitol during session every day to speak or for or against these bills. But staying engaged, this is how you move the needle. Stay engaged. Stay engaged. So how can folks catch up with Utah Black Roundtable or you, Darlene? You, Utah Black Roundtable is the, the website, utahblackroundtable.org. I am on every single social media except TikTok and Snapchat. <laughs> <laughs> I was on TikTok, but I took it off my phone, so yeah. don't go looking for me there. And we will uh, uh, put all your links in the show notes. SB 283 is the bill from Senator Johnson himself, a professor at Utah State University and his bill prohibiting diversity, equity, and inclusion in higher education. These are the conversations that are happening across the country. They are happening here in Utah, a majority white state. We're only going to get more and more diverse as time goes by. In fact, mixed heritage families are going to be the norm mm -hmm. in another 10 years here in Utah. So these are conversations that aren't going to go away no matter what bill is passed. Exactly. And unfortunately, that plays into a lot of what's happening in conservative media when they talk about the great replacement theory. We mm -hmm. have Tucker Carlson talking about that. And it plays into that. And, and there's, a legit, there's a fear that many of them have that they are going to be replaced by people mm -hmm. of color or people from someplace else. Yeah. It is ridiculous. It's, it's not true. Darlene, I feel like it's a tacit admission that discrimination has been the norm. If someone is suddenly saying, we've got to look out for my rights that I haven't felt I've had to because of my privilege, does it feel like a tacit admission? Well, if you think about the civil rights movement, mm -hmm. if you think about even the Civil War, the privilege, the people with the power are not going to give it up mm -hmm. with easily. They're not going to just give it away. Yeah. We have had to fight for the right to even sit here yeah. with you today. It wasn't just, it wasn't given to us. And that's where we are right now. The people, the status quo is fighting really, really hard yeah. to hang on to that status quo, to the power, to the privilege. And we are saying, let us in. Yeah. You're not, we don't need you to give us anything, as they say. Level, us out. level the playing field. Yeah. Don't, yeah, don't keep, don't kick us out. We're, we, we're gonna knock the door down anyway. They yeah. can't kick us out. They can't <laughs> keep us out. That door is coming down. But level the playing field. We ain't asking you to give us anything. Level the, the playing, playing field. field. That's it. Well, the next group we're gonna talk to has an interesting thing they do to help people understand more about homelessness called circles. And it sounds, and there's a lot of different groups that, that try and bring folks together from different philosophies or phases of life or, you know, economy, what you make, where you live. Maybe that's what we need to maybe do some of over the next year. What do you think? Let's go for it. Yes. Okay. Let's I'm in. Oh, I'm in too. All right. <laughs> it's good to see you, Darlene. It's always good to see it you. It sounds like as tough it is, you're having a good time up on the, on the hill. <sighs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, to get us from here to our next conversation with Switchpoint, it's always love, not a surf on KRCL. 
KRCL amplifies the work of community nonprofits like Comunidades Unidas, an organization that fights to build the social and political power of people who identify as Latinx immigrants, including undocumented folks living in Utah. More details at cuutah.org. Support for Radioactive comes from Mark Miller Subaru and the Love Promise Community Commitment, a partnership with nonprofit organizations that aim to make the world a better place. More information about the Love Promise and Subaru products at markmillersubaru.com. International Women's Day is Wednesday, March 8th, and we're celebrating by amplifying femme voices from 6 a.m. to 7 p.m. KRCL's women DJs will take over the day, one hour at a time, bringing you songs, stories, and voices from women worldwide and right here in our own community. Tune in and turn up International Women's Day, Wednesday, March 8th, 6 a.m. to 7 p.m., made possible by presenting sponsor Zion's Bank with support from the Sammy Center. Details, krcl.org. Oh, it's going to be good. I've got Mel Soul lined up to come in and play live. We're going to talk about uh, life as music makers with the women behind O-Foam and its big festival coming up in the spring. And also Talia Keys and Milan Atkinson will be joining us to talk about a life as partners in music and life. Stick around. We're still going to talk about many voices, many stories from the West with the Utah Museum of Fine Arts. Right now, though, I want to talk some, uh, some, spend a bit of time with the folks behind Switchpoint Community Resource Center that started in 2014 down in St. George. And joining us by Zoom, we have founder and executive director, Carol Hollowell. Hey, Carol. Hey, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. And Elise West is with us as well. And that's what caught my eye. Hi, Elise. How are you? Fantastic. Thanks so much, Laura. I saw you tweet or Facebook post about a new evolution of Switchpoint into coffee. And ever since Volunteers of America shut down Mods Cafe, which was uh, a great coffee shop and helped homeless youth get job skills. Um, I'm like, where's where can I get my coffee and have it go that much further? And so now Switchpoint is doing this, and we're going to get to that, Elise. But Carol, maybe you can give us the rundown about how broad your reach is, because you're based in St. George. You've got uh, a, a center also in Twilla. You've got some housing in Salt Lake, and you're just growing, Carol. Well, you know, if you see a gap, you got to step in and do it, right? Yeah. Everything's impossible until it's not. <laughs> well, what made you decide that you could fill that better than the players already there, whether they were nonprofits, whether they were you know, quasi-governmental? What made you decide? Well, I don't think it's uh, a competition. I never feel like um, helping those that are vulnerable is a competition. And so there's a lot of providers, and they each have their own little niche. Um, what we're really good at is trying to figure out businesses that help put the people to work. Um, if you're familiar with Delaney Street at all in San Francisco or, yes. or the other side um, Academy, um, you know, or the other side village that's going to be coming on, it's that kind of mentality. We just like to do it on steroids, meaning we, we don't just do one thing. So we've added on um, thrift stores and doggy daycare businesses and an aeroponic garden and a 24-7 child care center. And now we're going to create Switchpoint Industries that will um, produce uh, large products that will go nationwide, like our coffee. And Elise, that is your kind of R&D, your product development now, right? I am, and I could not be happier. I, I, I don't want to go to sleep because I just want to, I want to get this going and get it created. Well, what's your background? Tell us a little bit more about you, Elise. 
Um, I've had a lot of jobs because I'm a creative and I've just uh, really ventured into lots of different areas, but really coffee is my passion. Um, the last uh, handful of years I had a coffee house and that was where I really gained my deep love and respect for community, for collaboration, um, you know, for coffee and everything that is surrounding that. It really becomes a third place for so many people. My favorite coffee shops are the ones that really do that well. And that's why I was so sad to lose mods. Um, so what is going to be different about coffee from Switchpoint? Are you just going to wholesale first? Are you going to get a couple of storefronts? How's that going to work? Elise, Carol, I'm not sure who wants to take that one. Go for it. Take it, Elise. Yeah. Um, so what's, what's, what's a little bit different is that we're going to be roasting. Uh, that's our, uh, I think that's our, our, definitely our focus. Um, we're not a coffee house, so to speak, but we are definitely wanting you to, um, to sip and taste. Uh, before you purchase that coffee. So uh, what's interesting is it's going to be in a space that's right next to the boutique. So it's a it's a available space that's open. It's part of Switchpoint. And so it's a really a natural progression. Um, it's a perfect little spot to roast. Uh, and then we will be, it'll be available online in grocery stores and also uh, mom and pop shops, specialty shops around Utah. You say next to the boutique. The boutique is one of the things you have down in St. George, right, Carol? Yep, it is. It is. And I think, you know, for us, we really tried hard to figure out what's the branding or the, the messaging that we want to get out of our coffee. And so when you see it in uh, your local grocery stores coming soon, we want you to notice the switch, sip and support. And what does that mean? You know, and for us with our switch point name in general, it's switching that trajectory, you know, for a client that we're inter interacting with. And so switch who you're, you know, buying coffee from or you're drinking coffee to support this endeavor and sip it and support. And then, you know, when that, when we can have all of those pieces together, it will really create income to fill in gaps of services. Uh, as an example, helping people pay their rent or, um, you know, getting a deposit down or figuring out how to cover their IDs. So we use that micro enterprise money to fill in gaps that we don't get from other services. And right now, you know, we, Switchpoint um, is proud of, of that we do 76% of our, our income comes from our micro enterprises and our donations and not from state and federal dollars. So we're really, you know, trying to become as independent and self-reliant as we can. That really gives you the freedom to craft services for the folks that you serve the way you as an organization feel is best, not someone who's measuring the metrics of the grant that you got or the strings that come with government money. Right, Carol? That's exactly right. And it allows us to be more flexible, um, you know, to meet those needs. If you're tied to a lot of strings, like, for example, you know, the COVID money, there were so many strings attached to that. I was like, we can't even fit necessarily all those strings, but we're still trying to help the people that were impacted the most. And we can do that when we have, um, you know, our own unrestricted dollars that we can generate from, from our businesses. But our businesses do more than you know, just that one thing of creating income, it actually helps us put the people to work and it gives us branding and, and name recognition, right? So we can, at any one of our locations have, you know, 30 plus of our residents and or clients who are using any of our services be actually working in those facilities. So tell me about the people that you serve, Carol, and how that has grown over the years since 2014, I believe is what you said when yeah. you first we started, started off. Yeah, we started off as a shelter and then quickly realized within a couple months of, oh man, now what do we do? You know, you have a shelter, but they need something more and how are they gonna progress out of that? And what's that continuum of care look like? 
So then we added on a food pantry and we added on a thrift store and then we added on the doggy daycare. So every year we started adding on something as it kind of identified what was missing. And so when we look at who do we serve, we, we served um, a little over 12,000 people last year between all of our organizations. And those, you know, clients, if you will, came from either homeless or going to be homeless or low income, extremely low income, seniors, veterans, those that were struggling to find additional employment, those that wanted parenting classes, recovery classes. You know, so we we have this broad reach, you know, that says, what is keeping you in poverty? And it's really not just about homeless anymore because if you were in poverty, at some point you were going to be homeless because it only takes one missed check or one sick baby and you're, you're toast. You can't cover the rest of your bills. And we're seeing that big time right now with seniors who are on a fixed income and then their rent goes up and their income is not going to match that. And now they become homeless. So we're always looking at how do we jump in there and, you know, make an adjustment to save the day. You know, you, <laughs> you, know, you say that and that, that really is kind of runs at home with me as I'm aging in uh, our community and wondering, what am I going to do? And I remember as an old business reporter 20 years ago writing about the graying of America and that Salt Lake County in particular was not ready for it with the infrastructure. And by that, I mean housing and services. Do you think that, unfortunately, there's job security in what you're doing, Carol and Elise? Well, yeah. I mean, there, there's definitely job security, but I'd like to see the homeless piece of that go away. I think that we can do a lot of solving you know, of homelessness by creating deeply affordable housing. There's not enough of it, right? And so if we can continue to do what we're doing by purchasing and renovating motels and turning them into senior housing, we, we're now working on our second one in Salt Lake. So we've got one already that houses 120 seniors and veterans, and then our second one will be open in April. And when you look at if we can make some some big impacts and allow them you know, we signed 50 year deed restrictions with the cities that we go into that says we will keep this property as deeply affordable. And and so that guarantees that senior, you know, and a lot of peace of mind that they can stay there on their limited income. Well, and then the opportunity going into services with Switchpoint, you have these social enterprises, these micro enterprises, there's opportunity there because it is what next. Now that I feel safe, now that I feel I have a roof over my head and food in my belly, what can I do? And uh, tell me a bit more about Stepping Stones, because you don't have that up here in Salt Lake yet. Uh, Twilla's well, next, yet. though. We're, Twilla's we're next. We're working on it. So, yeah, Stepping Stones was, um, we were part of an intergenerational poverty um, study that the governor um, had um, had asked the whole state to be part of. You know, And so after three years, we kept saying, what are the top three gaps that are keeping people in in poverty, and that was childcare, transportation, and housing. And real evident that if you can't have one of those fixed, you're gonna really struggle uh, as a family. So we waited and waited for someone in the community to step up to the plate and create this childcare, affordable childcare that was ac- accessible through those non-traditional work hours. And finally we said, we gotta do it. We just, we have to do it to meet the need. So we built this facility, uh, opened in June of, of 2022, that can house up to 270 children in that 24-hour period. And that really helps those that are working, you know, your swing shifts, your grave shifts, your weekends. And think about how many people have to work their shifts and, and where do they find childcare? Because your traditional childcare is going to close at six o'clock, right? So that really helps us 
keep those families working, which right now all employers are looking for employees. And number two, you know, it gives them a feeling of, hey, I don't have to have my eight-year-old be my primary child care, you know, caregiver. I can now um, feel good about going to work and um, helping, you know, my own family. So what has response been since opening that in 2022? Do you have a waiting Fantastic. list? Yeah, fantastic. So there's certain certain uh, of our shifts, like our daytime shifts, uh, are completely full. Um, we still have openings on our weekend and our, our evening shifts, like the graveyard shifts. But it uh, is doing, it's outperforming what we had hoped it would do, and so we're really excited about that. We'll open the Tooele one um, this fall, and um, and then we're working on a location in the Salt Lake Valley to open up a third. What's the barrier in Salt Lake? Is it real estate? Is it employees? Yeah, trying. Yep. No, it's not employees yet, but I would say that it's definitely um, the location of where's going to be the best area that would be centralized for those businesses that have a lot of shift work. Okay. So trying to identify that is what we're working on now. Well, please do come back when you're ready to to announce that you've got a location and a a timeline for opening, but let's go back to coffee. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, Switchpoint Coffee, and what's the tagline again? Switch? Switch, sip, support. I love it. Switch to a coffee that makes a difference. I, I love that. Feel, yeah, feel the buzz of doing good. <laughs> I want the T-shirt as soon as you have it. So okay. you're going to start. You're going to start in St. George with a warehouse to roast. Are you looking at others, Elise? Other locations? Yes, actually, um, Carol. If you want to talk about Tuwilla and, and the the coffee up there, we'll be yeah. Having... We'll have a little coffee shop in Tuwilla, uh, inside of our thrift store, and so because um, it's a really big thrift store that used to be the old J.C. Penney building. And so we'll have a little place in there. So hopefully we'll have that opened uh, in the next 30 days uh, in Tooele. And uh, then we are hoping, knock on wood, that our location that we really, really, really want uh, in Mill Creek would be available to us by end of April. So wow. stay tuned because there, there's, yeah. uh, there's your coffee shop that you could That's know, closer to me. <laughs> yeah, smell the roasting going on and then uh, go, go buy a bag. I believe the Mods Cafe location may still be available, ladies. Hey, I'm going to have to send you, you the location. Send me the link. Send All me right. The link. Yeah. So Definitely. what do you want to leave folks with? Because, you know, I hear lawmakers talking you up a lot, and I feel it's kind of like at the expense of the system in Salt Lake. And like you said when we started, it's not about competition. It's about serving the folks that are in need. And I think that they get lost so often as we argue among ourselves up here in the capital city. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree with that. I think one one thing I'd leave with you is that we will continue as Switchpoint um, to find the areas that are um, barriers, large barriers for, for people and families that are in poverty and uh, in homelessness. And we won't stop at that. And so we will continue to find uh, businesses, whether they're macro or micro businesses, to start. And it will continue to help us become self-sufficient to where you know, one change of a bill, like we heard earlier tonight, doesn't, you know, break the whole system. And it's really scary for a lot of homeless providers because they depend so much on those state dollars that it can put them out of business. And we see that happen regularly with nonprofits. We want to be able to have a product that is appealing that the community is willing to purchase, you know, and and something that they want already. If you want to drink coffee, hey, drink ours. You know, I mean, that's an easy pitch. If you want to buy lettuce, you know, buy ours. Oh, that reminds yeah, me, we, we didn't touch on Rise Garden and <laughs> definitely going to have to have you back. But yeah. briefly, Rise Garden, your first harvest was last year. How's it going for 2023? 
Yeah, every, every week we're harvesting something, right? So um, the towers, we have 170 towers and we can grow 10,000 plants a month. So when you look at the capacity to become our own food island instead of a food desert, that's what we're trying to accomplish with an aeroponic garden. We save 98% water, 90% electricity, and we can produce year round. And it's the best produce you can get because it's, um, there's no soils, there's no pesticides, and you're, you're getting something that is so fresh, right? So we have all kinds of microgreens and seven different kinds of lettuces and seven different kinds of spinaches and all kinds of herbs. And so it's been a really fun project and our market is open to the public and we also sell to local restaurants here in St. George. We're, we wanna build a bigger one and that'll become another business that would will produce a basil product, if you will, so pestos. Um, and hummus and vinaigrettes, that kind of thing. So oh, man. Stay tuned. That just warms my heart knowing that you uh, you have this vision and you're executing step by step. So please come back, Carol and Elise, and talk with us some more as these things we've talked about come to fruition. And uh, I can't wait to taste the pesto. What's the website where folks can catch up with all you all, Carol? Switchpointcrc.org. And you can see all of our businesses on there as well. Well, Carol, Elise, you're going to have to come by and we're going to have to brew a cup in the uh, lobby here all at right. KRCL, Sounds okay? Great. Send us the link. All right. Thank you so much, Laura. You're welcome. Going to have to have Carol and Elise back and follow this story because, uh, you know, when Flourish Bakery, um, great nonprofit in our community and finally ran out of steam and closed. I'm like, okay, who's the next social enterprise that is helping put people to work, teaching them new skills? And look, Switchpoint is also doing that and providing housing, shelter, and childcare. So do check them out when you get a chance, folks. Stick around. Many voices coming up next. Many voices of the West with the Utah Museum of Fine Arts to get us from here to there. Going out West with Tom Waits, KRCL. Join KRCL for Music Meets Movies on Thursday, March 9th, as we continue our celebration of Women's History Month with a screening of Patti Smith, Dream of Life, an intimate portrait of the legendary rocker, poet, and artist. The film features rare performances, interviews with friends, and artists including Allen Ginsberg, Robert Maplethorpe, Bob Dylan, and Michael Stipe, narrated by Patti Smith herself. Life is an adventure of our own design intersected by fate and a series of lucky and unlucky accidents. I had in mind to become an artist, poet, and through that pursuit I found the root of my voice. That's Music Meets Movies, Thursday, March 9th at Bruvies in Salt Lake City. Tickets at the door at 6.30, movie at 7.30, information at krcl.org. Oh, that's going to be a good time, too, folks. So do come on down and details at krcl.org. I'm Laura Jones, and this is Radioactive. Coming up at 7, Democracy Now!, followed by Red, White, and Blues with Brian Kelm, Night Train with Michelle Tanner at 1030, and then John Florence back at 6 a.m. for your brand new day. And if you miss a show or want to share a show, you can listen on demand for the next two weeks of any show at krcl.org. Better yet, download the app and take us with you want 
with us where you want, when you want is how you can listen. Oh my, we're going to end the show tonight with a conversation, another one about the Many Wests exhibit up at the Utah Museum of Fine Arts. And Ashley Farmer is back. Hi, how you doing? Good. Thank you so much for having us. I asked you to bring in some voices from our community because you're going to extend this conversation and point it really specifically at our community with Acme Sessions on the weekend. So first of all, just revisit the exhibit for us and then we'll get into the details. Yeah, sure. Thank you. So Many Wests is an exhibition that opened in early February. It's a collaboration between four museums in the American West, including the UMFA and the Smithsonian American Art Museum. So it's a nationally traveling show. We're really excited and proud to be a part of it. And it basically um, highlights many perspectives that are not included when we talk about art of the American West. So we have artists that come from all different backgrounds, um, black, indigenous, Asian American, Latinx, LGBTQ plus artists. And it's just a fantastic array of 46 artists in the show and all types of media from painting and sculpture. So um, something for everybody. And coming up on Saturday, it's another one of your Acme sessions where you invite the community in to have a conversation. Yeah, and actually it is this Wednesday evening. I'm sorry, no I don't problem. know why I did yeah. that. Folks, no worries. erase that in your brains. It's <coughs> Wednesday night. What time? Wednesday night, 6 o'clock, and it's actually one of our free first Wednesdays. There so, we go. Yeah, so we are really excited. Um, the session um, is um, in collaboration with Salt Lake City Public Library. They work with us on these sessions, and... This one is called Many Stories, Many Wests. So, you know, just as there are so many different stories within the exhibition, we're excited to bring the community together to hear some personal stories, um, you know, from, from various community members and to contribute our own stories about the West, too. So for this session, we'll have um, at 6 p.m., we have five um, amazing community contributors who have been a part of this project. Um, they're creatives leaders, um, scholars in our community, and they've selected works of art from the exhibition that they have a personal connection with. They've created some writing and some audio recordings of their reflections on those pieces. They'll be there in the galleries to talk about the works they selected. We'll also have a zine making workshop with local artist Trishel Jeffrey. And then people, when they're making their art, they can um, enjoy some food by Prime Corn. Um, it's a pre-Hispanic um, restaurant that creates food that originates in Mexico, but is made here in Salt oh, Lake that City. that sounds tasty. That's Wednesday night, folks. Yeah. Do you have to sign up for this? Can you just show at the door? You can just show up, yeah. Okay, and remind folks where the museum is. Yeah, so we're on the University of Utah campus, uh, 410 Campus Center Drive, so... We'll put a link in the show notes, folks, Thank and you. you're going to want to get there early. Maybe take in the exhibit ahead of time. So we have two of the folks who are going to be there uh, joining us. On Zoom, we have poet Laura Ruiz. Hey, how you doing, Laura? Oh, sorry, I, I forgot to, to turn here. you up. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm so sorry. I'm having technical difficulties here you're as we close totally the show, fine. but um, you're a poet. What's the piece that you identify with? Um, so we were given a couple of choices, you know, from the exhibition, which I was very excited about, you know, seeing all of this in advance. And I identified with uh, Ruben Trejo's uh, Roots. It is a piece that just completely, you know, grasped my attention. I have a very um, special connection to nature. And, you know, the way this piece is uh, set up, it just, you know, it just connected with me and a lot of things of 
in my upbringing in two countries. In two countries. So can you describe yes. the piece and then maybe share a bit of a, a poem I understand you've written? Yeah, so um, I invite everybody to go see it because it is very different to see it in person. Um, I would tell you it's it's like this frame that has these roots coming from the top, but the soil is all the way at the bottom. So the roots are really not on the soil. It's as if they were, you know, trying to reach it. And it's in this uh, wooden stand and it has like four leaves at the bottom. Um, it is, like I said, it is more impactful when you see it in person. Um, well, I saw it in pictures, but I think I told Ashley and um, when I saw it in person, because we had a, you know, a preview before the exhibit was open, um, I started crying because <laughs> yeah. I thought it would be just the picture in the uh, gallery, but it was there. So it, it just, you know, I was bawling <laughs> when I saw the piece. It just meant your connection to it. Did the piece make you feel seen as part of a story of the West? Uh, yes. Um, you know, just knowing that Ruben Trejo is a Mexican-American. I'm not a Mexican-American person, but um, he was Mexican-American. And I know he understands the struggles of, um, I guess, being a binational individual, you know, growing up here, but having roots there, but not really being able to go back, in my case, not being able to go back to my motherland, but also growing up here and trying to connect to my family and other people um, because of these differences, you know, that I have growing up. Um, it made me feel identified as an artist, as, you know, and as, as an immigrant here. Well, I'd love to hear a bit of your poem. You told me it was rather long. So whatever you prepared to share, we'd love to hear it. Yeah, I'll, I'll share the first part of it, um, and the rest of it will be in the gallery later. So um, this is called, oh, and also the way this poem is made is that I have the Spanish at the top and then the line in English at the bottom as well, just to mimic, I guess, the roots that are intertwining with each other, just how the language is intertwined with me as I've been growing up. Um, okay, so it is Oda las raíces sin tierra. Ode to the Soilless Roots. Mi español tenía tanta sed de ser escuchado que se abrazó fuerte a mi inglés. My Spanish thirsted so much to be heard that it held on to dear life to my English. Pegándose a mi acento atrapado en dos mundos, como mariposa salió de su crisálida, y hoy todavía se hace presente cuando hablo inglés. It glued itself to my accent, trapped into worlds just like a butterfly coming out of its chrysalis. Today it still shows itself when I speak English. Quizás mi alma no quería perder los te quiero de mis padres o los retoños que sembré en español cuando aprendí a hablar de bebé. Perhaps my soul didn't want to lose the te quieros from my parents or the tender saplings I sowed in Spanish when I was learning how to speak as a baby. So the rest of the poem would be on, in an audio stop, um, you know, yeah. available at the museum. So, yes. Poet Laura Ruiz, first place winner in the Sor Juana contest here in Utah. Our Taste of Mexico in Utah, I believe, is involved in the Sor Juana Prize and all of that. Thank you, Laura. Stay with us. We're going to add another voice here who will be part of the ACME session on Wednesday evening at the Utah Museum of Fine Arts. And that is Professor Albor Skandahari. Introduce yourselves to our listeners, would you? Yes, thanks for having me, Laura. Um, yeah, I'm Albor Skandahari. I'm an assistant professor of ethnic studies at the University of Utah. Um, and I'm also a, a local poet and actor here in okay, Salt Lake. Okay, we got to have a poem from you too. But <laughs> how do you identify with uh, your life as a story of the West? Yeah, so, um, you know, I was very excited when Ashley approached me to collaborate on this UMFA um, project, Many Wests. And 
A part of that is because of my own story. So I was born here in Salt Lake City um, to Iranian immigrant parents um, who they came over from Iran in the 1980s, mid 1980s. Um, and you know, when I tell people that I'm from Salt Lake, especially people from outside of Utah, they're always shocked <laughs> that there are Iranians in in Utah. Um, and you know, in fact, there are there are a few thousand of us here. And we've been here since at least um, the 1950s, though potentially earlier. I'm not sure about that. Um, and so a lot of the, the stories in many Wests are really uplifting stories that we don't typically in sort of dominant narratives associate with the West, right? We often think about, you know, the wild, wild West and sort of this romanticized idea of cowboys and, <laughs> and westward expansion and all of that. But in reality, the West is so much more diverse, so much more complex. Um, and for me, I really uh, resonated with um, all of the all of the art pieces, but particularly those pieces which deal with borders, which deal with immigrant and migrant experience in this region, um, and really shed light on 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 sort of a larger picture of of what the West really is. You're a professor of eth ethnic studies at the University of Utah, and I'm kind of curious about your conversations with your students in light of this exhibit and the work that you do. And you have a book coming out, right? I do, yeah. <laughs> What's the book? Yeah, so the book um, is actually a culmination of eight years of research, um, starting with my graduate studies research. Um, and it's about uh, feminist and contemporary feminist and working class movements in Iran mm -hmm. uh, and their solidarities with um, similar popular resistance movements worldwide. Um, and so for me, you know, I, I really explore this question of what does freedom mean to mm -hmm. people in Iran who are living under, under you know, the current um, regime, the Islamic Republic of Iran. Um, but I also think about what, uh, what, is, what do those movements have in common mm -hmm. with movements here, for example, like Black Lives Matter, like indigenous movements, like migrant justice movements. What is freedom, you know, how, how is freedom in all these different sort of struggles related? Yeah. Um, and so I really, you know, uh, uh, resonated with what Laura was saying, you know, in, in her poem and in her previous comments about sort of feeling tied to two different places. Yeah. And for me, um, that's always been the case for me, both in my work um, and, you know, uh, kind of in my in my art as well, that I want to connect um, struggles in Iran for freedom, for justice, mm -hmm. like the contemporary movement, um, you know, for woman life freedom that has swept the streets there with other um, resistance movements yeah. um, here where I have called home, uh, you know, in, in the U.S. But an exhibit like Many Wests uh, at the UMFA can take us out of, you know, we have to experience this in a certain place and no, it's more of an idea. It's more of an ideal and whose voices need to be added to the narrative. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, exactly. I think one of the reasons I was so drawn to many West was because um, it's kind of looking at the whole world and how the whole world appears in the West. Right. Which for me, I, I think about how is Iran connected to the rest of the world. Right. And um, and I'm very excited too uh, to to take my students to see the exhibit actually later this semester. Oh, so wow. they're going to go visit it. And, um, you know, I teach classes for a program uh, called Diversity Scholars at the U, which is a cohort program to support 
um, students of color and first-generation college students at the university. So I, it's going to be very powerful for students and youth here in Utah to see themselves and their stories reflected in many Wests as well. And Ashley, is that one of the big goals, like big light bulb goals of this exhibit is for more people to see themselves in the story of the West? It really is. <clears throat> and, you know, I think I think with exhibitions like these, with artists, first of all, making so much important work that really um, sheds important light on how we can how we can think about the West. Um, we have this opportunity then to have conversations to bring people into the galleries and for people to see their own stories of the West reflected um, in these spaces where historically they haven't seen those stories. And I really love the exhibitions like this, you know, um, affirm the fact that the West has always been made by so many different people of so many different backgrounds. And those people, um, those people continue to shape the West right now. So it always has been, and it will be. And so um, an exhibition like this is meaningful in that way, I think, too. Talking about many Wests at the Utah Museum of Fine Art, and this Wednesday evening, there is an Acme Session event that you are invited to. And again, no ticket necessary. Uh, you could perhaps reserve a spot, but you can show up. Doors at? Yeah, so we'll, we'll um, no ticket actually necessary, and, you know, we will just welcome people at 6 p.m. The program lasts for about an hour and a half, so we hope people can come at the beginning, spend time in the galleries, talk to these amazing community contributors, make a little bit of art with us, have some food with us. What's the zine about? Tell me more about that. Yeah, so the zine is, um, we're really excited about this because we're hoping that people will spend time in the galleries, um, kind of think about all of these different stories of the West, um, talk to people in the galleries as well, and then take a little bit of inspiration to our art making uh, tables and uh, to this workshop with Trishel where people can reflect on their own personal story of the West. So we're excited to be doing this with the, with the public library. I should also mention they'll have an opportunity drawing so people can um, possibly take home a stack of zines that have been selected by um, librarians. And yeah, we're excited to make a little bit of art and tell some stories with each other too. Mm, very cool. Albers, I didn't ask what piece resonated with you. Yeah. So um, the piece that I resonated with the most was a piece called Delimitations, which is um, a work created by David Taylor and Marcos Ramirez Ere. And the piece actually has like over 40 photos in it. Uh, wow. So basically these two artists, um, went across the country and they surveyed the 1821 U.S.-Mexico border. So oh. not the current border since 1848, but the border before that in 1821, uh, which was much further north, which, in, you know, so all of this, you know, Utah and, and so many other places were, were part of Mexico at that point. And they just... Um, erected these obelisks in the different places across the country along this 1821 boundary. And for me, the piece really um, made me think about how fluid borders are, how constructed they are. And, um, you know, I think about why are we uh, spending so much time and money militarizing borders Ooh. when we should be thinking yeah. about how to build solidarity among peoples across borders, you know, and that's a theme that really runs throughout my 
my work and so that I really resonated with with their mm -hmm. piece um uh, very much yeah now when you heard I was going to ask Laura to share some poetry you said yeah. hey I'm a poet <laughs> do you have something you'd like to share a bit of sure yeah um so I uh also Laura's poem was so beautiful by the way thank you for sharing that um my poem uh, this recent poem that I wrote in October of last year was inspired by the uprising for um, woman life freedom in Iran uh, and it's called woman is a story for my grandmother Tayebe for feeding 40 people during a war for my grandmother Aziz who we still call Shirzan the lion woman whose story is always our guide for my sister, Setare, from whom I first learned the meaning of protest. For my mother, Mitra, for fighting in a revolution and for surviving from one oppressor to the next. For my queer big sister, Sahar, who taught me that my queerness is courage, my queerness is life. For all our queer and trans sisters who nudged us to leap into the self-love that now powers us. For all the women in our lives without whom we'd be lost, without whom we'd be gone, without whom we'd be silent. For Parveen, Furur, and Simin for giving us the language of our hearts, a language upon which we might just soar to liberation. For the rebels in Iran, the rebels who refused and in refusing embraced the very power of woman, the very power of life, the very power of freedom. Who made Zhen Jian Azadi the echo of our dreams and Zan Zendegi Azadi the rhythm of our hopes. For all the speechless anguish that turned to booming fury, because when the heart is hungry, fear is just its witness, not its master. For all those who taught me that woman is just a story, not a body, a story, not a body, the story of a spirit that calls us to take back our own power, a power too long deferred to those whose hearts have closed and those who've lost our world, a power that now burns in its rightful place in us, in us and only us. Got to give you my poetry snaps. Thank you for sharing that, Al Bors. And Ashley, I'm just kind of curious. I want to go back to that big light bulb that art exhibits can turn on for folks. And both Al Bors and Laura will be there on Wednesday, correct? They will, yes. Who else can help turn on the light bulb on Wednesday? Yes. So we are also really honored to have Robert S. Birch Jr., who's executive director of Sema Hadithi African American Heritage and Culture Foundation. He'll be there with us. Um, Tina Masaka, who's an arts education specialist with Tanner Dance, will be there as well. And Dr. Miriam Padilla-Vargas, who's executive director of Bomba Marile, will be there She's also. She's coming in on the show on Friday, actually, with some of the Puerto Rican drummers, I believe, yeah, that are coming to town. Awesome. Wonderful. Yeah, we're super so excited for we're this. We're going to have that as well. And then I also wanted to touch on, on uh, the other events related to this exhibit, the third Saturday, is that going to be around this? Yes, okay. we will have, um, we have several um, events coming up. We have an evening for educators on March 8th for any um, educators who might be tuning in right now, K-12 educators. We'll have third Saturday for families. We'll do art making on March 18th. Uh, we have an artist talk with the two artists actually who created the piece um, that Al Boris responded to. So David Taylor and Marcos Ramirez Ere will actually be here on April 5th to talk about their work. And then uh, Paisley Rectal, our a local and nationally celebrated uh, writer, will have a book launch for her project West, a translation, and that'll be on April 26th. Well, we hope to have all of those folks in for a preview 
or perhaps I can get with them while they're here and record something. It'd be great. All Thank right. you so much, Laura. Laura, what is it that you hope to walk away from or have others walk away from by participating in ACME sessions? Is it just to have that conversation with folks, with art as the, the bridge to sharing stories? Uh, yes, I have to say, as uh, in Artes de Mexico, we always, I guess one of our motives is that art heals, you know, and visibility is so important, especially in a state like Utah. And I want people to feel that they belong, that, um, you know, that their ancestors were here, um, that their history hasn't been erased. And um, yeah, just want them to know that, you know, they belong, that we are here, and that, you know, we can connect through art in a more, I guess, peaceful way. Well, thank you so much for giving us some time uh, tonight, Laura. Where can people catch up with you? I believe you are out there on Twitter or something like that. Yeah, I have an Instagram. Um, It's a little bit longer. It's at the typewriting poet, and then you add an A at the end. All right. So it's like Spanish, a typewriting poet. I'm pretty active in there. I will be sure to put it in the show notes. And Professor Albors Gandahari, how about you? How can folks catch up with you? Maybe even sit in on a class. I don't know. It sounds fascinating <laughs> what you're working on. Yeah, absolutely. No, you're all welcome to, into my classes. Um, yeah, no, people can follow my work on Instagram as well. My handle is albors101. Um, and, uh, you know, I also have um, publications on my, on my site at transform.utah.edu. I'm also performing in a play on March 13th called White Rabbit, Red Rabbit at Westminster College. I saw so that. Check that Stick out. Stick around. We have can. to talk a bit more. And when's the book coming out? Um, 20, fall of 2024. It's a very long, you know, peer review academic publication <laughs> process, but it's on the way. Right. <laughs> and Ashley, where can people check out Utah Museum of Fine Arts and get the details on the exhibit? Yeah, umfa.utah.edu. Thank and you. And the exhibit runs through? It runs through June, so we have we have quite a bit time of time left. June 11th is, is when it ends. Well, thank you all for giving us this preview tonight. And thank you to my other guests this hour. Check tonight's show notes for links and get involved in your community. That's what we try and do on this show. Tomorrow night, please tune in for a great conversation, a Roundtable Tuesday edition to wrap up Black History Month with the hosts of Race, Roots, and Culture from PBS Utah. I'm Laura Jones. Have a great night, and thanks for listening. KRCL.